0: Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 65. I'm Kip Clark, and we have a returning guest in the studio today, Sam
1: Whipple. Pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course, because today we're going to be talking about Star Wars, episode seven, The Force Awakens, but specifically in anticipation of the film, what the hype has been like. I would argue the cultural value of this film as a return to one of the largest franchises in film history and in the entertainment industry, I would also argue. So to begin, what do you remember about the first trailers that we saw and what were your reactions when you first saw those trailers?
1: Well, it's been a while since they've come out, but I do remember when that first trailer hit, I know that there was pandemonium, and I went to find it, and chills. I very much grew up with the Star Wars movies, and I think the characters and the sort of epicness of the story all sort of spoke to me as a kid, and seeing the new trailer, I was really optimistic and encouraged that, first of all, so much had been said about What was J.J. Abrams, the new director, going to do in terms of practical effects? That's what you keep hearing about with the Star Wars movies. It's what made some of the original ones so iconic because they didn't rely on computer graphics. They relied on real models of ships and characters and set pieces. You notice a difference, I think, and that came through in the trailers. But besides that, nostalgia. I read something recently about Star Wars' use of nostalgia as a weapon that it's trying to hit those buttons so specifically. And I think the new trailer hit all of them precisely. You had Han and Chewie coming in, vague references to some of the original characters. You caught a quick glimpse of R2 maybe Luke Skywalker's hand, just those little details that sort of brought you back in and reminded you. And I think the trailer in a way is meant to sort of mirror the trajectory that this new story is going to take, that they very much want the torch to be passed from those old characters to the new. And that's my highest hope for the film. I hope that we're going to see a transition into this new era that we're not going to sort of drop into it, but there's going to be something that bridges that gap. But I, of course, have my ticket already, and I'm curious to see what the fans think of it initially, because there's still so much we don't know, too. When you saw that first trailer, were there any details you thought were missing that you were hoping to see that you didn't initially?
0: Well, what I remember of the first trailer, which I actually chose not to watch in preparation for this episode, I wanted to watch the more recent trailers and see if I remembered anything from the initial trailer, that we saw John Boyega's character, the stormtrooper, and of course there's the fiasco over his race and that there wouldn't be a black stormtrooper, which is ridiculous in my opinion, and anyone who's boycotting the film should really take a look in the mirror. I think that's silly. But we saw him, I believe we saw Daisy Ridley's character, who plays Rey, We saw the droid who rolls around who looks really cool, whose name is BB-8, and I wanna say we see ships crash on a desert planet, which is not in fact Tatooine, but Jakku. And then we see the Millennium Falcon and it does some flips and TIE fighters are attacking it and the iconic Star Wars theme music chimes in. And that's where nostalgia rang true for me because it's so iconic. And I'm probably going to use that word a lot in this episode, but you just remember everything that you felt about Star Wars, which as one of our contributors, Halei Kanani says, when you strip away lightsabers and the guns and all the the technology, it really is a simplistic but spiritual and invigorating story. In the original trilogy, a farm boy essentially realizes his deep and vast spiritual connection to this overwhelming force that unifies everything in the universe. And that is exciting and relatable in many ways, because we all want to think we're part of something larger. And so Star Wars is in many ways a brilliant story, one which has been visually bastardized in some ways. But I do think think the icons and the general arc and the Archetypes within these stories are fundamental in some ways to a lot of what sci fi culture has become, to a lot of what cinematic culture has become. And characters like Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader are so surreal in some ways, but I know that at least for myself, I spent childhood years pretending to be these characters. And so there's a lot of excitement wrapped around these movies. And one thing that excites me that another contributor, Nico, brought up is that this movie is really bridging a number of generations which no movies in the past have really done. Of course, movies being a relatively young medium in the scope of human history. I'm intrigued by the fact that my father, who I remember, was really excited when the first Star Wars movie came out. And if I remember correctly, took my mother to see episode six, Return of the Jedi, that he is and will be excited for this movie, that I'm excited for this movie. And in the semi-generation below you and I, Sam, the 10-year-olds, the six-year-olds, etc., who are going to see this movie, they have an excitement. And that to me is almost unfathomable because it reaches so many individuals, not only Americans, but I would contend on a global level. There's a reason this movie has already made $50 million in pre-ticket sales because people can't wait to see it. Do you have anything to say about the generational bridge that it's formed? And to focus that question a bit more Is Star Wars as a franchise deserving of that generational bridge, especially given the reaction to the prequels?
1: I think Star Wars is definitely unique in terms of its ability to really bridge that generational gap. It's proven its ability to endure in a way that I find in some ways surprising and in some ways understandable on the one hand it's surprising to me you mentioned that the older generation of course they grew up those movies came into theaters and they weren't cult classics they were blockbusters immediately it's interesting that something like this that seems like it would sort of grow into a cult classic following this space opera about mystic powers and futuristic weapons with a variety of different scenarios in a galaxy far far away would actually take hold in that way. But I think it is in many ways because of the points you brought up about it being relatable and it having those underlying themes that, that people can pick up on. But what's interesting to me is that it has also managed to attract this younger generation. The movies themselves seem to have carried on even to kids who have grown up in the past 15 years. They certainly didn't see those movies come out when they first did, and it's interesting to me that you brought up the prequels. One contributor, Trevor Haley, actually wrote in, and he had a line I really liked he mentioned, there's been a retroactive attempt to justify the prequels now. I think many people are looking back at those and wondering how they're going to fit into the canon of Star Wars, if The Force Awakens is actually not only as successful, but as good as many people hope it will be, and I'm almost uneasy knowing how the prequels became a kind of dark side in the Star Wars universe. And there really is potential for that to happen with The Force Awakens. I think the way that the trailers have come out, the way that they've generated this excitement, suggests that they're really going to have an appeal a groundedness to them that is more in line with the original three movies that's gonna make it succeed in ways that the prequels didn't. But I'm curious what you think about that. Do you think the prequels fit well in the Star Wars canon?
0: I was really ignorant as a younger child of the cinematic problems with the prequels because in two thousand when episode one came out, I was in kindergarten slash first grade, I believe. Episode 2 came out around a similar time, and episode 3 came out when I was in fifth grade, so I didn't have the sophistication to appreciate the underlying issues of episodes 1, 2, and 3. And for me, they did fit into the Star Wars universe. They were shinier, they were more visually appealing, and the drama and musical scores seemed to fit with Star Wars because, of course, John Williams remained as the composer. Looking back, of course, I notice, as did our contributors, Hayden Christensen's weird brooding emotions that weren't really well acted the strange script in which various lines are throwaways and really awkward and uncomfortable if you rewatch them. So I acknowledge, as you do, that the prequels are in many ways the dark side of Star Wars. I would contend that episodes 1 through 6 were Anakin Skywalker's story, and of course the latter three being Luke Skywalker's mainly, but as a set of six, I think they fit well together. And so I remember when episode 7 was announced feeling as though it was a cash grab, because we all know that nostalgia is powerful, you and I are going to see the seventh movie, largely because we know how interesting the first six were, and we want to see its continuation, and I of course relate to that feeling, but I remember being a bit skeptical and wondering, where are they going to go from here? Because we should also remember that in purchasing Lucasfilms and the rights to Star Wars for some two billion or something dollars, Disney abolished a lot of the canon and extended universe that fans had come to love, the books, the video games, the other media that had branched off from Star Wars, and Disney said no it's now a lot more simple. It's the movies and the recent cartoon shows, Star Wars The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, and beyond that, I really don't think there are many things that they acknowledge as canon. So it'll be interesting to see what episodes 7 and following, episodes 8 and 9, and the three spin-off movies, one focusing on Han Solo, one focusing on bounty hunters from the Star Wars universe, and one focusing on Rogue Squadron, of the Rebel Alliance, what they're going to be doing. But moving from the prequels to Episode 7 as a new entity, Nico, one of our contributors, points out that in the trailers, what happened in the prior six movies comes across as mythology. And we see Rey and Finn, who have newly met one another, and it seems Finn is a former stormtrooper, perhaps, who's lost his way and might be a Jedi, reach Han Solo, who says, everything you've heard, the Jedi, the Force, it's all true. And that voiceover plays in the trailer during some beautiful music and some really epic scenes of X-Wings and TIE fighters. And so we realize, as fans watching, that our memories of Star Wars as a mythology of the late 20th century and the early 21st century are in many ways paralleled and aligned with what Finn and Rey know. And to me, that's really exciting because we will relate to them. They don't know much about the Jedi. And similarly, we are a bit detached from the Jedi because it's been a while since the Star Wars movie came out. And so I'm excited to see what that gap of knowledge creates within the movie, because in episode six, no one really knows what happened to the Emperor. Only Luke and Darth Vader know how the Emperor and Empire actually fell. And so it'll be exciting to see what the universe of Star Wars knows about the Empire's fall because, of course, they've coalesced. The stormtroopers have returned, and it seems they're led by this new dark Jedi, Kylo Ren, who we also don't know much about except that he is... A fanatic who worships Darth Vader and still has his charred helmet. And that's exciting to me because, again, there are so many beautiful ties back to the old trilogy, one of which being Mark Hamill's voiceover in a later trailer talking about the Force. And I personally don't think we will see much of Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker in this movie. And I want to ask you, because I know I've been talking for a while, how you think this movie will tie to the prior trilogy being four, five, and six. And do you think the passing of the guard, as it were, will be fluid? Do you hope to see a lot of older characters? Will you feel uncomfortable if Finn, Ray, and other new characters take too much of the foreground? What are you looking for in terms of connections to the prior trilogy?
1: Well, I think the indication we've gotten from the few trailers we've seen so far, and I'm thinking specifically of a TV spot that came out recently, actually. They've started to put out some of these 30-second bits that have a little bit more footage, give us just a little bit more of a glimpse into what we're going to be getting. Still very cagey as far as any plot details, though. But one moment stood out to me where there's a moment where we see Finn walking into this control room of sorts. It's a large area, there's a lot of people, and it really is a split-second can glimpse, but we see a figure who is, I'm pretty sure Leia, standing at a table. One of the things we do know, you know, we don't know much, but one of the things we do know that has been revealed in conversations with J.J. Abrams over the course of interviews that he's been doing on the press tour is that Leia has moved on from her role as as princess and is now serving in a more militaristic capacity, it seems. She seems to be serving as a kind of commander of the forces that are at play here, or at least in response to Kylo Ren's group, the First Order. That moment stuck out to me because I think in some ways it tells us a little bit about the kinds of relationships that we're going to see between the new characters and the old. Finn coming to Leia for her... Capacity to oversee the response of this rebellion to the New Order, Han giving that guidance to Finn and Rey about what happened in the past, the stories they've heard, how to move forward. It seems as if some of these old characters are going to serve as kind of spiritual guides in the story as we see these new characters jump into the universe and try and figure out what their place is. One of the big themes also that's come up in the early trailers is that both of these characters don't have a sense that they are anyone. There's a line in one of the initial trailers
0: in which Rey, who we see as a scavenger, actually rappelling into a decrepit Star Destroyer, which has crash-landed on Jakku, this desert-like, Tatooine-like planet, she's scavenging for parts and says, I'm a nobody. And I think you're right in citing spiritual guides in older characters, because of course they talk to Han Solo and presumably Chewbacca as well. And I'd like to ask you, because many fans have been theorizing that either Han or Chewbacca or others might die. Do you think that's likely to happen? We see one shot in one of the longer trailers of Rey crying and huddled over what appears to be a body. And I would contend that we've seen so much of Chewbacca and Han solo in these trailers in fact they feature almost as heavily as finn and ray that the trailers might be misleading in certain ways and when we hear han say to chewbacca we're home at the end of the first trailer that might be meant to mislead fans what do you think about that theory
1: when you say meant to mislead fans do you mean meant to lead them into thinking that they'll be a more central part of the story when in fact we might be getting set up for one of them to die
0: Sort of. I mean misleading in the sense that I think J.J. Abrams and everyone associated with this film and with this franchise as it now moves forward is very aware of how much hype there is, and I think they understand how trailers work, and they definitely understand how films work. And so I would contend that they want to make these trailers interesting without giving anything away. And so I do think they're showing us these characters to get nostalgia going and hopefully get fans to come see these movies. But I think many of us will have a strong emotional reaction, because I'm very convinced one of those two as a pair is going to be killed, perhaps at the hands of Kylo Ren, this new villain. And I want to come back to Han Solo, because Hale, who wrote in, notes that he was her favorite character in the original trilogy, but that she also really enjoyed Princess Leia. And she says, She was sassy and even intimidating, but she was also smart, devoted to a cause, and didn't care about pleasing other people. It's too bad that so much of her storyline was about her being captured and held prisoner by some villain or another, and it's especially sad that pop culture seems to only remember her in that weird space bikini. The scene where she's trotted out in that costume is one where she's held captive as a slave to Jabba the Hutt, which is gross and degrading. And I would answer that and say it is unfortunate that she is remembered in many ways as a sexualized image. However, to me, Princess Leia is interesting because she does hold a blaster and fire at stormtroopers. And with Jabba the Hutt, to spoil a very old movie, she kills him with the very chain he used to bind her as a slave. So to me, she is a strong and feminist character that I think a lot of female and male viewers alike can get behind. Do you have a particular favorite character that you remember from the older trilogy that you would love to see particularly prominent in this new movie?
1: It's hard for me initially to pick up favorite character out of all of them. But, you know, in some ways, I guess it was always (laughs) R2-D2. He, it's, you know, who who really knows? But that in itself, I think, conveys something. That there was a real ability on the part of the designers of that movie, the part of people who made those robots come to life in a very meaningful way, that R2-D2 was really able to take on a lot of strong emotional qualities as a kind of playful companion to C-3PO who would get into mischief but also had an ability to get them out of tight spots. I was reading about the way that they went into constructing BB-8, the latest droid companion in the new adventure in The Force Awakens, and they were talking about how in the process of building him, it was very complicated process even just designing the quote-unquote face because one of the set designers was talking about it saying you move the eye over to the right suddenly he looks a little too angry you move one panel down too far He looks sad or confused, but there's a real intentional quality to some of the ways that those features are portrayed on the robots. And they did an incredible job of this, I think, with R2-D2, that between the noises he used to try and communicate, we didn't need to understand what he was saying. But we certainly got a sense of him as a kind of playful sidekick. And I think if I could have been anyone in the Star Wars universe, it probably would have been R2. (laughs) It occurs to me that part of the reason I may have become so infatuated with R2-D2 is that one of the biggest criticisms that many people level at the series, or or more specifically at George Lucas was the fact that he seemed to be very interested in the merchandising rights that came from Star Wars. There was an attention to the story in the first three films that I think was evident. But once the prequels rolled around, there was a real sense that, like you said about The Force Awakens, it was a cash grab. It was intended to sell more toys And I do remember hearing that Lucas has made money on a scale multiple times what he ever did from the movies on toys alone, on those merchandising rights. And I'm almost certain I had an R2-D2 action figure of some kind. But Chris Katzman, who wrote in, points out part of the reason many people are actually so excited about Force Awakens is that it's being done by a real professional studio. Katzman says, Lucasfilm was a total joke. In fact, I've read that the original three episodes would have been equally disastrous as the latest three if Lucas hadn't had several people reigning in his, quote, creativity, unquote. Want to see what I'm talking about? Google Star Wars Holiday Special. I have not seen that and I will have to Google it after this. I think Lucas does, to some extent, fairly get criticism for the fact that as much as he created this, again, iconic series, he really found a way to kind of exploit it to his own benefit. And when you have a franchise like that, I think that's, to a certain extent, understandable. But where many fans felt that they were left behind with the prequels was that there was a complete lack of attention to the story, to the characters. Again, Jar Jar is the key to all of this.
0: I'm also really impressed on a cultural level with how important this movie is going to be in a lot of ways because it does unify so many different fans of various ages, races, creeds, beliefs, etc. from around the globe. And of course, we've already mentioned the generational gaps that it's going to bridge. People like Trevor Haley, who wrote in, talk about how, in his words, It was the entirety of his childhood. And I can somewhat relate that I, like Trevor, consumed anything with the Star Wars name attached to it, be it games, books, etc. I have several pieces of the original soundtracks on my iTunes library because there are just some really emotionally impactful moments in anything related to Star Wars. Something about how magical it is to think of what could be out there in the stars and how exciting science fiction can be.
1: One of my oldest friends and I had our first playdate over a lightsaber battle. It was that pervasive.
0: This is a girl, by
1: the way. It also didn't have that gender imbalance. It was universally recognized as this fun, amazing series.
0: Right. And especially with the original trilogy, there's a simultaneous simplicity and complexity. There's depth, but it's approachable and relatable to children who might appreciate the action, where adults might appreciate the hero's journey and the fact that Luke has to face his father who is his main antagonist. It's very interesting in its archetypal choices.
1: On that note of relatability, I would be curious to see what you think about the fact that one thing I've noticed in all of the trailers we've gotten so far is something that comes up at the very end, which is that whenever the graphic rolls, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, this film is not yet rated. Now, I haven't read much about this, so I don't know if there's an intentionality to this. I don't know if they're still waiting for approval from the Motion Picture Association of America. It could be as simple as that, but I'm curious if you think that there's maybe a drive there to figure out just what way they need to target this movie. I don't think it's necessarily a balance between R and PG-13, I can't imagine a Star Wars movie going into the R rating because you would alienate so many of the fans who would be going to see it. But I wonder if there is a distinction worth talking about between PG and PG-13. Does that give it a different quality? Does that make it a different movie? What do you think?
0: That's a really good question and I personally can't recall if any of the Star Wars movies were PG or PG-13 specifically for each of the six. I believe a few were PG-13 and I suspect a few were also PG. But I agree with you in that I don't think Star Wars would ever become an R-rated franchise. And to an extent, younger children might scoff if it were rated PG versus PG-13, because as a teenager, I think you want to imply that you are almost an adult. And so maybe people would feel more uncomfortable in their younger years with watching a movie that they felt was a kid's movie. However, I think, as I said, the simplicity but simultaneous depth of Star Wars movies, which I expect to see in The Force Awakens, is is going to be present, I presume. And so I'm not worried about the rating, but I also commend you on having such sharp eyes. I didn't pick that up. And in conclusion, I want to talk a bit about the new actors, because of course, I don't know John Boyega or Daisy Ridley. I've never seen any of their productions or performances. However, I trust the direction of the film, and I presume that they really demonstrated their capacity for acting and great acting in the auditions, which I know reached out to a lot of people. So I presume, that they are quite talented, and I'm really excited. But of course, they are new faces, and I want to know what you think of the new faces of Star Wars, as it were.
1: Well, I was reading an interview with J.J. Abrams where he was talking about the initial process of writing the script and the casting considerations that went into it. And he said that he and his writers, when they were talking about the script, meant to write these parts without any sort of basis in race, gender, without any descriptor that would immediately restrict the availability of who they might be able to cast. I think that was a good choice. I think it was one that acknowledges the fact that the Star Wars canon exists in this vast universe of a variety of different characters and people that there is no reason that you couldn't see the entry of any creed or color of character into the universe itself. You mentioned at the beginning the critics who have come out of the woodwork to boycott John Boyega for being a black character in a Star Wars movie, which I think couldn't be more ridiculous simply because of the fact that Darth Vader was voiced by none other than James Earl Jones, who's one of the most iconic talents in acting that we have today. And of course, Billy Dee Williams, who played Lando Calrissian. Though you could make the argument that he was portrayed as a traitor, and that was maybe something that those folks were okay with, but who knows. I have not seen any of their previous work either, but my initial reaction to their performances in the trailer, in some ways it's also encouraging to me that they've reached out to a younger generation of actors, partly because it helps bring in a new audience, it makes the audience younger because they're going to be seeing younger characters on screen, but also because in a way, something to me about the very fact that these are people who are newer to the Star Wars universe than actors who had been around at the time when those movies were becoming big might even make their performance in some ways more authentic that they really are jumping into this new and fresh and we'll get to see them kind of feel it out as they go and I think that'll be really exciting to
0: watch. I agree, and I really like that sentiment. I'm also really impressed on a large scale with what the new movie has done on a marketing level, because of course for gamers out there, there's the new Star Wars Battlefront game, there are of course upcoming films, and as you've noted regarding George Lucas, there continue to be Star Wars toys that are made and will indefinitely be made for these upcoming films. So I'm curious to see financially how well these films do, but of course with The Force Awakens, I'm excited to see how it does, and I personally wish it well, because I'm excited to see it, and I hope that future Star Wars movies are well-funded and well-supplied. In closing, are there any questions or things you'd like fans or listeners of our show to think about with regards to the cultural anticipation on a massive level of The Force Awakens?
1: Well, the conspiracy theorist in me says, pay attention to Luke Skywalker. There's a reason he's not on that poster. There's all kinds of speculation about the role that he is actually going to play in the movie. And that's just a plot point. But at the same time, I think it's going to have a lot to do with the direction that we see the story move. And I'm personally very, very excited to see the direction that goes in. Because if any of the fan theories about Luke turning to the dark side or the way that he was affected by the climax of episode six come true, it's going to be really, really interesting to see the role he plays in not just The Force Awakens, but the movies going forward. And if he even sticks around, who knows? Who knows what role he'll play in those movies?
0: I agree. And I would like listeners to think about other media, perhaps, that bridges generations and conversations that will be had after watching The Force Awakens with our parents and perhaps the older generations about what they felt about the films, because I'm really excited to see how my family and I discuss the film when we first see it as a group. And I also want listeners to think about massive cultural anticipation of anything. Can hype ever equate to what a product actually ends up being? Or are we bound to overanalyze and build up something in our minds before it ultimately disappoints us in one way or another? And are we likely to be overcritical of something because of our relative anticipation? I think it's worth thinking about. And finally, I want to know from listeners who maybe aren't Star Wars fans, what you thought of this conversation and what sticks out to you about the Star Wars franchise and this upcoming film, and if you felt there were any points we made that you found pertinent or salient in some way. I'd be very curious to know. And of course, Sam, thank you for being a guest. We loved having you, and we will definitely have you back.
1: Pleasure. Pleasure.
0: I would also like to thank our written contributors for this episode, those being Trevor Haley, Chris Katzman, Nico Hargreaves-Healed, and Halei Kanani. And of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have thoughts, please feel free to reach out and share them with us. We would love to hear them either on Twitter, Facebook, or our email, which is stridentsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, you can subscribe and review this show, which always helps us expand our audience, and we would really appreciate it. And as always, thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.